several years ago, I was stopped behind a car at a red light, and I happened to notice the customized license plate cover. The top read, Grandma of a Miracle, and the bottom said, Kira Renee, one pound, three ounces. I thought, wow, one pound, three ounces. I can't even imagine that. It's hard to picture that. That really is a miracle. I wanted to know more. I wanted to hear the story. I wanted to see pictures. But all I got was her name and birth weight. But what I appreciated about that grandmother is that she wanted to tell everybody. You know she told her family and friends. You know she told her neighbors. You know she told anybody who would give her a listening ear. But even that wasn't enough. She wanted to go further and tell people who were stopped behind her at a red light. Her granddaughter was born unbelievably small, and her life was preserved. And now this grandmother wanted to make known to the world about the miraculous birth of Kira Renee. As we celebrate Christmas today, we are going to reflect on the birth of Christ and the events surrounding his birth. The birth of Jesus Christ was also miraculous, but for different reasons than the birth of Kira But the effect that the birth of Kira had on her grandmother gives us a taste of the effect that the birth of Christ has had on countless people, including a few of the characters in our story this morning. This morning we will study the birth of Jesus and the events surrounding his birth. We will consider their meaning and why it matters to us. Our passage is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and I encourage you to follow along. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as that had been told them. Well, this morning, I just want to call attention to two things Luke points to in his account of the birth of Christ. In our passage, we see the sovereignty of God and the humility of Jesus. First, we will consider the sovereignty of God. The birth narrative begins with Caesar Augustus. If you're not familiar with Caesar Augustus, he reigned for 45 years as emperor, and it was his reign that was considered the golden age of Rome. During his reign, he expanded the empire, but generally maintained a peace, a peace that was known as the Pax Romana. Rome prospered and flourished under his rule, and many honored him as a god. His influence on Rome was profound, not only during his life, but for hundreds of years after his death. We see this, for example, in an inscription that was found, which read, Divine Caesar Augustus, son of a god, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. This was the world that Jesus was born into, the Roman Empire, the world of Caesar Augustus. Needless to say, when Caesar Augustus ordered the world to be registered, the world obeyed. In the first century, Jews such as Joseph and Mary found themselves subject to a pagan government that regarded their emperor as the son of God and savior of the world. Within the mighty Roman Empire, Nazareth and Bethlehem were insignificant towns that were not highly regarded if they were even regarded at all. But it is in these towns where we find the characters of this incredible story. Joseph and Mary lived in the town of Nazareth, but had to travel to Bethlehem to be registered there because that was Joseph's ancestral home. Here Luke mentioned in a matter-of-fact sort of way that Bethlehem was the city of David and Joseph was of the lineage of David. Now, if Mary and Joseph had written out a birth plan, I don't think the events that transpired were what they had in that plan. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if Mary and Joseph had their way, they would not have chosen to get pregnant before they were married. I'm also guessing they would not have chosen to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem while Mary was likely in the third trimester of the pregnancy. And unfortunately, Things did not seem to get much better once they arrived in Bethlehem. I don't think Mary and Joseph would have chosen to give birth in a room used for animals. If someone were to read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2 without any prior knowledge of the birth of Jesus, they might be inclined to say, boy, that was truly an unfortunate set of circumstances leading up to the birth. Mary and Joseph had a string of bad luck. Surely that could have gone much better. But when you look closer, you see something else entirely. 
you begin to see that the events were not at all random. You begin to see that Mary and Joseph were not just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You also begin to see that Caesar Augustus was not as powerful as he thought. No, something much bigger was taking place. Though Luke gives us little detail in his account, he did pull back the curtain just enough so we could see whose hand was at work behind the events of human history. He made a point to note that Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, which was the city of David. He made the point that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. These were not insignificant details. As a matter of fact, these details point his readers to the reality that the events he recorded were taking place according to the definite plan of God. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God revealed through his prophets certain things that would take place in accordance with his plan to save his people. David, the most famous king of Israel, reigned from 1010 B.C. to 970 B.C. As we heard last night, God made him wonderful promises and promised that there would be a king who descended from him. He came to power a thousand years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah chapter 9, which was written over 700 years before Jesus was born, God revealed that a child would be born who would sit on the throne of David. This is why Luke informs us that Joseph, who was the adoptive father of Jesus, was a descendant of David. Jesus, through adoption, was from the line of David. Caesar Augustus became the heir of Julius Caesar through adoption. But Jesus became heir to the throne of David through adoption. In Micah chapter 5, which was also written 700 or more years before Jesus was born, God revealed that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. This is why Luke highlights, rather than covers up, the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Luke was revealing that what took place in the birth of Christ was the fulfillment of things God promised long ago. Here is what we need to see. The events in Luke 2 were not random and unfortunate circumstances. No, the God of the universe was working out his plan to save his people just as he described hundreds of years earlier. Caesar Augustus may have believed he was in control and his power was unrivaled and the world did his bidding. But the truth is that he was but a pawn in the hand of the one true sovereign king. The circumstances surrounding the birth of Christ were not an unfortunate sequence of events. No, they were ordained by God, even behind all the twists and turns. God was working all things according to his plan. Brothers and sisters, I believe we ought to find great comfort in this. Today, more than 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, we can trust that God is continuing to work out his plan to save his people. This is particularly comforting 
during turbulent times. We take comfort in knowing that no matter what unexpected events transpire, no matter who is in power, no matter how dicey things seem to get, nothing transpires apart from the sovereign hand of God. As followers of Jesus, we are to have great confidence in God, meaning we joyfully trust Him, even when there seems to be a, a reason for despair or discouragement. Think of all the reasons Joseph had to be disheartened and frustrated. His fiancée, whom he had not slept with, was pregnant. Even though he had conducted himself honorably, everyone probably assumed he was the one who got her pregnant. If you've ever been wrongly accused of something, you might understand how difficult Joseph's situation was. In addition to that dilemma, Caesar called for a census, meaning Joseph would probably have to pay more taxes. Then he had to make a difficult journey with Mary late in her pregnancy. When he finally arrived in Bethlehem, there wasn't even a decent place for Mary to give birth to her, their son. We really don't know much about Joseph's attitude through all of this. But certainly, someone in his shoes could have easily slipped into the mindset of, God, why do these bad things keep happening to me? Why are you against me? When am I going to catch a break? Have you ever felt like that? But the reality was that even in the midst of all those hardships and trials, God was working his good and perfect plan. Sometimes our vision becomes obstructed by the things that happen to us or by the things that are happening in the world around us. And when this happens, the Lord calls us to lift our eyes up to look at him and remember who he is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will finally accomplish. He wants us to lift our eyes up, to set our eyes on him, and to be confident in his promises and his plan. If you are a Christian, does your life reflect a deep trust in the sovereignty and goodness of God? Are you confident that God will accomplish all his good purposes regardless of what is happening in the world around us? Do you know that God is working for your good even when you go through hard and difficult times? Do you have confidence in him, confidence that cannot be shaken by your circumstances? Friends, God is sovereign and good. No one and nothing can stop him from accomplishing his good and perfect plans. And if you are in Christ Jesus, if you love God, then you can be certain that he is working all things for your good. 
And that includes everything that you experience during those seasons of life when you feel like, I can't catch a break. Even in those times where you feel like God's hand is against you. Don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. Don't give in to the temptation. Don't let your confidence be shaken. Trust him. He is sovereign. He is wise. He is good. He knows better than you. And he is always working for your good. Along with the sovereignty of God, we also see the humility of Christ in Luke's account. Caesar Augustus was born into an incredibly wealthy, powerful, and influential family. There is no doubt that he grew up receiving the royal treatment and enjoyed the best things in the world. Of course, when he became emperor, he lived in the most grandiose palace. He wore the finest robes, ate the choicest foods, and had dozens of people attending to him. He probably had more earthly glory than any other human at the time. The people of Rome were in awe of Caesar Augustus as they saw him in all his splendor. They were captivated by his power and majesty. All the eyes of the world were on him. Surely they thought that he was the most important person on the earth. Little did they know that somewhere in the empire, a baby boy was born to an unknown young woman in a small town in an insignificant region would have immeasurably greater power and influence than Caesar Augustus. The rulers and dignitaries of the world did not recognize the birth of this boy, but instead he was welcomed by a small group of shepherds. In those days, shepherds were treated as social outcasts. The occupation of shepherding was looked down upon. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy. Among the Jews, shepherds were ceremonially unclean because of the nature of their work. God could have sent his angels to proclaim the birth of Jesus to anyone. The angels could have appeared to important, well-known, and well-respected people who could have, in turn, spread the message rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. But on the night Jesus was born, the angels appeared to shepherds. In the eyes of the world, he was born into an unimportant family. His mother gave birth to him in a dwelling meant for animals. His bed was a feeding trough, and he was welcomed by shepherds. The birth of Christ could hardly have been more humble. What we must see here is that the manner in which he arrived was an indication for the very reason of his coming. The way he arrived pointed to the way he would accomplish his mission. Jesus came to save sinners, such as you and me. He came to save us from the punishment we deserve for our sins. He came to save us so that we will not spend an eternity in hell apart from our God who made us. God, who is rich in mercy, sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. You see, he came as a servant. He came as a sacrifice, and he came to give himself up for us. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus, referring to himself, said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Caesar Augustus, who claimed to be the savior of the world, had thousands of people who served him. Jesus Christ, who is the savior of the world, came to serve others. His humble birth led to his humble life of service, which led to his humble death upon a cross. He humbled himself for our sake. The Apostle Paul described this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where he said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus who is God, humbled himself by adding to himself a human nature and coming to earth as a baby. As a man, he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant. As a servant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. In death, he humbled himself by subjecting himself to death on a cross. No one has ever humbled himself in the way Jesus humbled himself when he came to earth. We see his humility from his birth all the way through to his death. The King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, and savior of the world humbled himself and came to earth to rescue us. God provided a way for us to be saved from sin, death, and hell, even though we don't deserve it. And the way he provided involved the humiliation of Jesus Christ. Now everyone who believes in Christ will be saved because he was willing to come to earth as a newborn child, live a life of service, and die on the cross for our sins. Do you know that Jesus humbled himself for you? How have you responded to what he has done for you? If you are not a Christian, the question for you is, are you willing to humble yourself and acknowledge your need for a Savior? You see, the reality is God is our creator. The one true and living God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He made us in his image to know him, to enjoy him, to obey him, to love him. And yet every single one of us has sinned against God. Every single one of us has turned our backs on him. Every single one of us is guilty of disobeying his commands. And therefore, we are all in need of a savior. And thankfully, that's not the end of the story because God sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world, the savior we all need. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life, a life without sin, which we have all failed to do. Then he went to the cross, and he died in such a way so as to take the punishment we deserve for our sin in our place. He absorbed God's wrath for us. He died on the cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering death. And he appeared to hundreds of people to prove that he is alive. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and just as people waited for the first coming of Christ, now we are waiting for the second coming of Christ. 
And during this period of time between his first coming and his second coming, he is giving sinners, such as you and I, an opportunity to turn from our sin, to believe in him, to be saved. If you're not a Christian, our hope, our prayer, our desire for you is that you will recognize that you are a sinner, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins. Our hope, our prayer for you is that you will believe in Christ and be saved. Christ came into the world to save sinners. I pray that today will be the day of salvation for you. Believe and be saved. If you are a Christian, is your life marked by the humility of your Savior? Do you know that you will never humble yourself for another person more than Christ humbled himself for you? You can't out-humble Jesus. As his follower, is your life marked by humility? Do you count others as more significant than yourself? Are you willing to serve others as Christ served you? Brothers and sisters, as we follow Christ, may our lives be marked by humility as his life on earth was characterized by humble service. And we are the beneficiaries of his humble service. I hope and pray that the birth of Christ will have a similar effect on us that the birth of Kira Renee had on her grandmother. I hope we will take this good news of great joy for all people and make it known, just as she wanted to make known to the world the miraculous birth of her granddaughter. Do you remember what the shepherds said after the angel appeared to them? They said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds were joyful that the Lord had made this good news known to them. So they went at once and found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And in verse 17 we read, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And finally in verse 20 we read, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds joyfully received the good news and joyfully shared the good news. They made known what was made known to them. And the last picture we see of them is returning home, singing the praise of God, surely on their way to continue to make known this glorious gospel. The gospel is a treasure. When we understand how precious this treasure is, we will receive it with joy. Then we go and share with joy. We are inc incredibly blessed that God has made known to us this gospel, this good news of great joy for all people. The most important knowledge anyone can have has been given to us. And now we have the joy and the privilege of making it known to the world. May we be people who joyfully make known the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy to celebrate 
What a joy to celebrate the birth of Christ, the coming of our Savior. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to think on this, to reflect on this, to meditate on this, that we might be changed and transformed. We pray that we would find great comfort in your sovereignty and the way you are working all things according to the counsel of your will. We pray that we would follow in the steps of Jesus, living lives of humble service, just as Jesus humbled himself and served for our sake. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us to make known the good news of the gospel to others, that others might hear, that they might believe, they might be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.